let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a speaking God. You are unique in that sense. You don't simply send people to talk about you. You yourself speak. We remember that when Moses taught the Bible, it was described as a face-to-face -face encounter with God. We remember that Peter writes that it's like speaking the very words of God when preaching is listened to rightly. And so I pray now that the voice of Jesus would be heard. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat. And if you've got a Bible there uh, on a phone or uh, one of these churches ones, I'd love for you to find Hebrews. If you'd like a Bible, I think Maureen might kindly bring you one. Thank you, Maureen. Just put a hand up in the air and uh, Maureen will, will bring a Bible to you. This is on page 1202. It's called Hebrews, and it's the first paragraph of chapter 3. So page 1202, right-hand column, and that first paragraph underneath where it says, Jesus greater than Moses. But let me start with a little illustration. I remember it was probably 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, we were living in Hong Kong, and I remember sitting in Hong Kong Harbour on one of those giant inflatable rings. There was about six or eight of us hanging onto this ring as this triple-engine jet boat went flying around the harbour. We had challenged the driver to see if he could actually throw us off, and he had taken the challenge very seriously. He was hurtling around the harbour. We were coming off, off the water into the air. There was one point that he flipped us right over. Over, and just for a few seconds we're hanging on upside down before it flips back up. Three of us went down at that moment and as we're clinging on with all our might, all we're yelling at each other, you could, we're in our 20s, warrior idiot boys, holding on going, hold fast, hold on, just hold on. Can you imagine yourself there? I don't know if sometimes you feel, and I don't know if all of us are Christians this morning, uh, but I don't know if sometimes you feel actually hanging on to Jesus can be like that, that, that the ride of life is throwing you all over the place. It's almost like the, someone's on a jet boat towing your life, having a right laugh as they take erratic left angles here, there and everywhere. And you're just, just desperately, desperately trying to hold on. In fact, maybe you know the pain of uh, going through a particularly bad patch, looking around and realising one or two who were there are no longer there and have been lost. And you're just going, hold fast, hold on. The end of our paragraph, if you look at chapter 3 here, the end of our paragraph uses exactly that language. Look at sentence 6, halfway through. If indeed we hold fast or hold firm to the confidence that we have. Hold on to Jesus, even when all these multiple forces are threatening your grip and, and trying to throw you off, whether internal things, forces of your heart and your mind, or whether external things, whether they're, they're painful things, which obviously are pushing against Jesus, or actually whether they're things we perceive as good. I think far more people lose their grip when they are wealthy than poor, when they are happy than sad when they're healthy than suffering. Sometimes the subtler forces prize our fingers off more quickly than the more obvious ones. Interestingly, the threat here to these original listeners of this first, when it was first written 2,000 years ago, interestingly, the particular threat to them is not so much to hold on, they are holding on fast, but they're holding on to the wrong thing. That's the second challenge. First is that the, just the grip needed to hold on is it, hard. But the second challenge is, actually, are we holding on to the right thing? Holding fast, but holding fast to the, to the wrong thing. Let me illustrate that for, for a moment. Over the summer, uh, we as a family went on a PGL 
holiday. Some people jokingly call the acronym Parents Get Lost. It's like a family outward bound holiday. There's rock climbing and abseiling and kayaking and canoeing and, and quad biking and all these sorts of things going on. And one of the things we did as a family uh, was a 220 meter, 60 mile per hour zip wire. Even Moses, our three-year-old, they scrunched up into an adult harness and dangled him 25 meters off the ground and sent him flying down. He's just like that, yeah, as he went down, yeah. But there was a lady in our group called Lisa, who, who was mum to a lovely girl called Tilly. And, and Lisa, she was really adventurous mum, absolutely up for anything. But she was anxious about this zip wire. And as they were clipping her on, they coiled over her arm, like they did with all of us, what was called the recovery rope. It was a big, black, thick rope. And all it is, it's just tied to your waist, very lightly tied to your waist. It's got nothing to do with the harness. It's not holding you anywhere. Tied to your waist. You hold it coiled on your arm. So when you get to the end, you drop it down because you're 10, foot, 10 meters up in the air and the person at the bottom can kind of steer you to the ladder to get down. But in her anxiety, she was holding on to this recovery rope with all of her might. And I heard her say to the instructor, I'm just going to hold on to this with everything I am and I'll be all right. And the instructor gave a wry smile because right in front of her was this thin steel cord. That's what's holding her on to the zip wire is this little thing. But she couldn't see it. And she's gripping with all her might on this useless recovery rope. And yet that can be us as well, can't it? We're holding fast, but we're holding fast to the wrong thing. We're, we're choosing to hold fast to what seems much bigger, perhaps, what seems much more tangible, like that thick black recovery, ignoring actually the thing that's keeping us safe and secure. Jesus, who sometimes, the invisible speaking God, is sometimes a bit less tangible, isn't he? And so I don't know whether you feel more like hanging on behind that jet boat, just hold fast, but life is just throwing me everywhere and my grip is... Or whether you more feel like Lisa on the edge of that and you're holding tight with all your might, all your muscles straining, but your friend, you're holding on to the wrong thing. Holding on to your financial security or your health. Holding fast to your reputation. Holding fast to church with all of your might. It's the wrong thing. And yet there's a genuine risk of holding fast to the wrong thing. For them, then, originally, it was their old religious practices. They used to go to the temple and be good Jews and everything you could touch and feel. And they'd given all that up and they just think, I want the recovery rope. I want to grip on something I can really hold. And turning away from Jesus. So what this paragraph does just before that instruction, hold fast, is to give us two ways we hold fast to Jesus. And they're going to be vitally important, maybe for you, because you can see yourself in one of those images, maybe for a close friend, maybe for you as you take that step of trusting Jesus. Hugely important to hold fast and hold fast to Jesus. Let me read the paragraph. We're actually going to look today only at sentence two to six, and then next week we're going to come back and do the first sentence on its own. Let me read it, and as I read it, let me just give you something to look for. As I read it, look for the word house. Seven times he uses the word house. It gives us a new image of what he's trying to teach. Seven times. Let me read it. He, that's Jesus, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what, he, to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house 
if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Did you see the repeated word house? Now for them, remember their little bit of heritage as they've come from this Hebrew Jewish background, for them the house meant safety and security and belonging, just like it does with us, and they are thinking of the house of Israel. And the chieftain over that house was Moses. Did you see him mentioned there? And so in their mind, the, the, the house is the house of Israel, that nation, and the chieftain is Moses. And the writer here says, hang on a minute, two things have changed. First of all, Moses is no longer the chieftain, but Jesus is. Jesus is the chieftain of this clan, of this family, of this house. And secondly, did you notice who the house is now? Did you notice that? It's quite remarkable. Look at sentence six again, just nestled in the middle, middle, trying to hide away from us. Sentence six, and we are his house. We. That we encompasses everybody and anybody who's trusted Jesus. They now become part of this house, part of this family, part of this home. We. It's incredibly inclusive, isn't it? It's no longer the house of Israel. It's the house of anybody and everybody. I don't know whether you feel like a warrior today or a wounded. I don't know whether you're rich or poor. I don't know whether you're confident or shy. But you are included in the house. We are this house with Jesus as the chieftain. Let's have a look then at the two things he says about how we hold fast, hold firm to this confidence in Jesus through all of life's winds and waves and currents and battering. Number one, hold fast, he says, to Jesus because he's the builder, the architect of the house. Hold fast by honouring him for what he has built. Look at sentences Three and four, if you would, again, it says this. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. It's kind of a fairly obvious thing to say, isn't it? That actually uh, the builder of a house deserves greater honor than the house itself. We have friends uh, who we knew when we were overseas, when Hannah worked in business, um, Steve, and he was the CEO of, of B&Q Asia, and he retired, I guess, in his 50s with no real need to work again. And he owns a house in Edinburgh, in Scotland, and another one in Florida. And he's been living in Florida for the last couple of months, which is where they spend the, the bleaker months of the year. And they arrived in Florida just in time for the hurricanes to hit. And in their house, like most houses in Florida, they have what they call a safe room. It's a room in the house where all the walls are internal. And for them, they use it as the laundry room as well. And uh, just before the hurricane hit them, they went into their safe room, locked the door, were out of communication and all the rest of it while the hurricane passed over. And then at the end of the hurricane, those many hours later, they went outside to discover their house was still standing. What do you think they did? Do you start praising the house? Thank you, house. I love you, house. Now, obviously, in your emotional state in the moment, the bricks and water might actually get kissed. Of course they might. But in a rational moment, the person you thank is not the house. You thank the architect who designed the house to withstand such a thing and the contractors and builders who built it to spec so it would withstand it, don't you? The ones who deserve the honor are the, the architect and the builder, not the building itself. That's what's being said here, you see. Jesus deserves greater honor because he is the builder. Moses was only ever part of the building. But Jesus is the builder, and therefore he deserves the honor. And notice sentence four, if we're not really clear, Jesus is the builder, the provider, the constructor of everything we have. 
Look at sentence four. For every house is built by someone. They're not trees, are they? They don't just grow spontaneously. They're houses. Every house has to be built. But God is the builder of everything. Who built your money? God. Who gave you the health you have, mentally or physically? God. Who gave you your reputation? God. Now, we're called to be good stewards and maintain all those things, but God gave them to us. He's the architect and builder of them. So who should get the honour, friends? We hold fast to Jesus when all those forces are threatening to rip our hands from him. We hold fast to Jesus, not some daft recovery rope that's not the real deal, when we realise he's the one who gave it all to us and therefore here is worthy of greater honour. We hold hard to Jesus by praising him, thanking him, worshipping him and honouring him in all of life. It's a vertical direction. When it looks like our hands are going to get ripped away from him, praise, praise, praise. When it looks like we're holding on to what is only a recovery rope, our money is starting to get too much of our attention, praise, praise, praise. Not just singing, but definitely singing, but not just singing, in all of life. Another friend of mine, this is going back 10 or, or 12 years, Kate, incredibly capable woman. She got a first in biology from Oxford University. She got a couple of England caps playing football. Incredibly capable, wonderful woman. And after university, she went into secondary school teaching. And for whatever reason, she found it extraordinarily difficult. It just did not fit. It raised all sorts of anxiety and mental health challenges for her. And then at the same time, her dad, young man, early 50s, diagnosed with cancer, which over a four-month period was fatal. And she said what she used to do as she drove in from the Oxfordshire countryside to the school in the centre of Oxford. She'd stop about 10 minutes from the edge of Oxford, still in the country, pull over in this little lay-by, quiet country road, switch the engine off, turn the radio up and just sing and belt out at the top of her voice, how great is our God, yeah, and just give it all that she had. And she said that didn't somehow make the challenges of the day disappear, but it anchored her on Jesus to take her through the challenges of the day. And actually, there's something about that, that actually, when going, the going is hardest, when life is battering us most strongly, when things are most difficult, that is when you praise loudest. That is when you thank God the most. That is when, at the end of the day, you force yourself to write down 20 reasons to be thankful. When it's hardest. Now, you know I'm an extrovert. Of course you do, if you know me. And so you know I love to sing, and I love to shout and prance around like a goon. I tell you this, the louder I sing at the front, the worse the week has been. Because you praise until you praise. You remind your heart that Jesus is worthy of greater honour because he is the architect, builder and provider of all that you have. And when it looks like you are forgetting that, the fingers are slipping out, you praise and praise and praise Amen. to hold fast to Jesus, worthy of greater honour. Here's the second one. Hold fast to Jesus because he is the son over the house. Not just the builder and architect of the house, but the son over the house. And we honour him, we hold fast to him by talking well about him. Look at sentence five to six. It says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what had been spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful 
as the son over God's house. You see the contrast. Moses was a servant in. Chief servant, top servant, but a servant in God's house. But Jesus is the son over God's house. Over there means love and authority in perfect combination as he rules over God's house. And so in a sense, our role model here is now Moses. Moses is a servant. Yes, he may be a higher ranking servant than we are, but he's one of us. He's a servant in God's house. Jesus is the son over God's house. How does a servant respond to that son? Look at the little phrase there in sentence five, by bearing witness to the son. Now, bearing witness simply means to tell the truth clearly, doesn't it? That's all bearing witness means, to tell the truth clearly. When I was uh, about 12 years old, someone drove past our house and I happened to be looking out the window and they pulled up in a, in a fly of gravel, jumped out and they nicked our neighbor's milk bottles, full milk bottles, about three of them, and jumped back in the car and went raging, and a loaf of bread, I think, as well, the, the, um, not the postman, the milkman had put there. They nicked these milk and this bread and went streaming off. My mum saw it too. Well, nicking a few bits of milk and bread is one thing, but it transpired when it was reported to the police that that car, the number plate, was attached to a whole string of much more serious offences. But this was the only witness to the offence. And so my mum and I had to go to court and bear witness to what had happened. All it meant was telling truthfully what had happened in a way that people could understand. Telling the truth clearly. That's what it means here. That's our job as servants like Moses in the house that Jesus is the son over, is to bear witness, is to tell the truth about Jesus' love and authority and goodness clearly, truthfully and clearly. And that helps us hold on. Let me illustrate it with a a story of another friend of mine. Uh, Paul, when I, uh, I grew up in a fantastic and brilliant family, an amazing family. Some of you have heard the story of how I first encountered Jesus. It wasn't in my family. They were fantastic, but not a Christian family. And when I was about 19 years old, I bumped into a, a number of people who were Christians. And one of them was Paul. And he was a wonderful guy, really good guy. And he was a Christian. And I remember one night really clearly. It was the end of season bash. We were all sports people. We'd all gone along. It was a big full tuxedo. I looked the business like James Bond and uh, all the ladies were in their sexy silky numbers. And there was a few hundred of us in this hall. Fantastic night. And my friend Paul had come along and was sitting on the table, about eight of us. He was sitting on the table with me. He'd had a couple of pints, but he hadn't got drunk. And then the strippers that had been organized came on. And my friend Paul just stood up and said, lads, I don't want anything to do with this. I'll be back in half an hour, but I don't want anything to do with this. Well, can you imagine the language as he walked out? 300 people banging the tables, shouting at him, you... On the outside, we gave him all this. On the inside, I was, wow, wow. Incredible that a man should live like that. And it wasn't actually Paul who told me about Jesus, but it was because of Paul that I listened. But here's the rub. It was only years later that my friend Paul told me that those university years were the bleakest and hardest for his faith, and he just wanted to pack it in. And the only thing that kept him holding on to Jesus was my questions. See, the writer here is writing to you and me and them when there is such a risk of letting go of Jesus. Letting go because we're being battered and life is throwing us around and it's hard to hold fast. Letting go because actually we want to grip onto something much more tangible and hold onto that recovery rope. And he says, you've got to hold fast. 
And the way you do it, number one, is by praising, a vertical dimension. Keep reminding your own heart that Jesus has given you everything you have and is worthy of praise. And secondly, is a horizontal direction. Don't just thank Jesus for what he's done. Tell other people about what Jesus has done. Because actually that enables you to hold, hold, and hold fast. So which of my two friends do you need to learn from this morning? My friend Kate. How great is our God! In a lay-by in the Oxfordshire countryside. Because you're forgetting to thank him. Or is it my friend Paul? Who even when he wanted to pack it in, because of my constant rabbiting, meant he held fast. What have you got to thank Jesus for this morning? Who is it you need to tell about Jesus this week? So you, so you can hold fast. Shall I pray for us? Jesus, we thank you that you are the architect, designer, and builder of all that we have. Everything is built by God, the builder of everything, Jesus, you are. And so I thank you for all that you have given us, and eyes to see all that you have given us, and mouths and hearts that honor you for all that you have given us. And I thank you that you are the sun over this house as well, a perfect love, perfect authority is the chieftain of this house we belong to now. And I pray you'd help us to speak truthfully and clearly about who we are discovering Jesus to be, not having all the answers, not having the full story, but having our story of what we know about who Jesus is and be ready to speak that to other people, to tell them, to tell our friends, because it's such a great thing we're discovering about you. And I pray you'd help us through that to hold fast, to hold fast, to hold fast, hold fast because it's worth it. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Chris is going to lead us to communion. One way of saying, yes, I'm going to hold fast to Jesus. You might want to take communion today going, I'm holding to you, Jesus. So let's stand and sing. And then Chris will lead us on.